Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 17, and it's on page 878 of your pew Bibles if you're using those. Jesus prays for future believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I are, you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to this complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Mm. Thanks, Lorinda. Um, would you pray with me? Lord, these are deep waters this morning, and I know that my words can't really change anything or help us Um, enter these waters, but your word can. So please speak to us. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what are you aiming at? Have you thought about it? What your your goal, your direction, your your target is in life, in, in the Christian life? I'm talking about what you're aiming at for like your career or your retirement, but what are you aiming at as a Christian? What's the goal? I was thinking about, you know, Valentine's Day tomorrow with, uh, you know, you see Cupid with the little arrow, the bow and arrow. Um, but how many of you have shot a bow and arrow? A lot of you. So you know how you fit the arrow to the string. And you raise the bow and you draw the, the string back and, and try to hold it steady. I guess if it's a compound bow, it, it kind of gets past that pull point and then you just sit there and you, you line up the arrow and the sight with your target, with the bullseye. And then you release it and hope that it hits its mark, right? What are you, what are you aiming at in your Christian life? What is in your sights? I want to show you this morning what, what Jesus says the target is and what we should be aiming at. And I also want to show you first some of the wrong targets that we may aim at. Um, let, me, let me put it a different way. What kind of a person do you see and think, that is a real Christian, that's what I want to be like. That's someone who I want to emulate. Is it someone who um, makes great sacrifices for God? Like a missionary who, who moved to 
Indonesia to, to plant a church? Or is it someone who knows their Bible really well and who maybe has degrees in theology and biblical studies? Do you say, that's the kind of person I want to be? Or is it someone who is just like um, uh, morally pure and who does everything right and who never seems to you know, step out of line or mess up or, or say a bad word or have a, you know, a, a blemish in their life? Is that the kind of person that you think you should be? What are, what are you aiming at? What is your target? I want to show you what Jesus says we should be aiming at. And first, I want to show you some of the things that we may be aiming at that we shouldn't be aiming at. Um, today is the, the sixth axiom in our series called Off the Treadmill and Onto the Trail, Seven Axioms for Actual Change. <clears throat> We're almost done. I'm excited because, well, there's some good stuff in this and then in the next week's sermon. And then after that, um, Roy and Tina are going to be sharing about their mission trip. And then after that, we're going to dive into a book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. We're going to be going through Exodus um, for most of the year with a lot of uh, interruptions in that. And that will be a rich time of of, uh, being in the Word. But today, would you turn in your Bibles to John 17? And... um, Keep your finger in that passage. We're going to come to it. We're going to get to it. But first, we're going to look at a few other things. So, so the goal, what is the goal of the Christian life? The goal is union with God. Spoiler alert. The goal is union with God. First of all, we're going to talk about what it isn't. So what are some of the targets we aim at that are not right? Two things. The first thing that the goal is not is more knowledge. More knowledge. Not more knowledge of the Bible, not more knowledge of theology, not more understanding of what Christian writers have said over the centuries. Um, looking around the American church, you might seem, it might seem like the goal is knowledge. Someone becomes a Christian, we say, okay, attend this Sunday school class, go to this discipleship group, read this book, go to this conference, listen to this podcast, watch this program, get more knowledge about the Christian life, get more knowledge about the Bible. And knowledge is good. We can't believe in one that we don't know about, but knowledge is not the goal. You will not grow as a Christian by amassing or acquiring more knowledge. You will not be closer to God with more and more knowledge. I know this because the Bible says this. Take uh, the book of James, for example. James teaches us a lot about um, the difference between believing and saying the right things and actually doing the right things. And he says, you say that you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe that. And they tremble with fear. Right? Even the demons have good theology. But God is their mortal enemy. More knowledge is not the goal. Or take Jesus' encounter in John chapter 5 with the most educated, um, um, uh, biblically literate men of the day. These were uh, the teachers of the Jewish law, the men who had the Torah probably memorized. They had, uh, they're well acquainted with the, the Talmud, which is the commentary of the Bible. 
Um, they could they could parse out every jot and tittle of every verse of the text, or so they thought. And Jesus comes to them and says, "Look, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It's not about knowledge; it's about Jesus Himself. It's not about more knowledge." You know, if spiritual maturity could be acquired by knowledge, I would be a lot farther along in my spiritual life. <laughs> I've been to seminary. I went to four years of seminary. I studied Greek and Hebrew and theology and church history and all of these things. Do you know how many books I have in my office? I counted this week. 469. And many more at home. I have commentaries on every single book of the Bible. I have books with titles like The Commentary of the New Testament Use of the Old Testament, The Commentary of Bibli- the, uh, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, or Five Views on the Inerrancy of Scripture, or Pursuing God, or Whole Life Transformation. If the titles of my books were true of me, I would be super close to God. But it's not about more knowledge. A number of you have told me that you feel insecure about your lack of biblical literacy. Maybe you are relatively new to the faith, or you just have never really um, studied the Bible. Now, I encourage you to read and to study and to devote yourself to knowing the Bible, but in the same breath, I will tell you that's not the goal. And you can be close to God without vast amounts of biblical knowledge. Well, second thing that it's not, <clears throat> the goal is not better behavior. Again, look around at the American church and you'd think that behavior is the goal. Um, someone becomes a Christian, we say, okay. Here's um, the programs you should attend. Here's the music you should listen to. Here's the things you shouldn't do. Here are the, the, the politics you should support. Here are all these things that you should do and behave like to be a Christian. Like it's just about you know, doing the right things and, and making the right choices with, with your life. But that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. You can, in fact... Um, behave in all the right ways and still be far from God. Jesus told a parable about this. Uh, in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. You all know this story. It's actually more about the, the non-prodigal son, the older brother. What does Jesus say? There's this father who has two sons. The younger son demands his share of the inheritance early and runs off to Vegas and blows it all in gambling and parties and women. He runs out of money. He falls in hard times. He winds up uh, working for a pig farmer, and he's so poor and hungry that he longs to eat what the pigs are eating. And then he thinks, well, gee, I could go back and be a servant in my father's house and be uh, better off than this. So I'm going to go back and confess that I've sinned and, and see if I can make it right with Dad. 
But before he can get back all the way, his father sees him and runs to him. You know this story, right? Puts on his, ro- his, royal, or his, his robe and his ring, and he says, Quick, kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party because this son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost, and now he is found. Let's have a party. And of course, the son in this parable represents the tax collectors and prostitutes and people who were far from God in the Jewish people's eyes. But the punchline of the parable is when the older son is out working and hears the party, hears the party happening and he stands outside in a field and sulks. And the father comes out to him and pleads with him to join the festivities. And do you remember what the older son says? He says, Father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he can even bear to say, my brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Right? This is a guy who has behaved in all the right ways, as if doing the right thing would get his father's approval. And so when his brother, who has not done the right thing, comes home and is celebrated, he feels jealous and self-righteous and far from his father. That's what happens when we just think it's about behavior change. Maybe some of you today need to hear that you can't earn God's approval with your behavior. And so I don't know if that's good news for you or bad news for you. But the pressure's off. You can't earn his his approval. The goal of the Christian life is not changed behavior. You can do all the right things and look all cleaned up on the outside and on the inside still be far from God. There are other things we could put in this category that the goal is not prosperity or living the victorious life. The goal is not a happy family. The goal is not even making it to heaven. John Piper wrote this, the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. Think, wait a minute. What is he saying? Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could go to heaven, right? Here's the problem. You can believe that Jesus is your ticket to heaven and not love God. You can, you can believe that the gospel is uh, a way to get more knowledge and not love God. You can be prosperous and not love God. If If the goal is any of these things, you can do them without God. But listen to what John Piper says. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. Do you you see the difference there? God is the goal. Not heaven, not behavior, not knowledge, not prosperity, not victory, but God himself is the bullseye of this target. Union with him 
through faith in Jesus Christ. That is what we're aiming for. That is the purpose of this whole thing, is to be enveloped in God's love, to have life, to enjoy life with Him, to be planted in Him, to be, to be brought into the life of God Himself through Jesus. That's what it's all about. That is, that's why God created us to begin with. That's why Jesus came to save us. Not just to get us to heaven, but to get us to God. To get us to God. So that is the goal. And when we live with that as our goal, things change. Life changes. It's different. So let's talk about what it means, what union with God means, and then how we can set our sights on that. Instead of knowledge or behavior or prosperity or any of these other distractions. Okay, so what is it? Here's where we go into John 17, starting at verse 24. Now, what are we looking at in this passage, John 17? This is often called the high priestly prayer of Jesus because he is praying for us. He's praying for his disciples and then for us. And this prayer shows us the bullseye that Jesus was aiming at and that we should be aiming at too. Let's start in verse 20. He prays, My prayer is not for them alone. Who's them? The the remaining 11 disciples at this point, minus, you know, 12 minus Judas. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. Jesus was thinking about us and praying for us hours before he died. My prayer is for for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Now, Jesus prayed that, that we might all be one. Christians might all be unified. That is a whole other sermon. But, but how will this unity be achieved? What's the, well, what's the pattern for this unity? It's just as you, Father, are in me, Jesus, and I am in you. It's like unity, oneness. Moving on, he says, May... May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, there are a lot of very short words in John, and especially in this passage, that we can skip over that mean a lot. Look at the phrase, in us. May they also be in us. What is Jesus talking about? We would be in in him and the Father. Well, Jesus wants you and me to live our lives inside the relationship between himself and the Father through the Holy Spirit. That's what salvation is. It's Jesus taking you by the hand, pulling you out of your sin, and you're pulling you out of the grave and bringing you into his relationship with God participating in the life of God. 
He prayed for that. That's what he wants. And what happens when we do that, when we live out of that union with God? The world will recognize Jesus. Not by our great knowledge, not by our perfect behavior, but by the way we live connected to and planted in and united with God. Do you see that? Let's go to verse 24. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Verse 26, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. If you are an underlining person, underline that last phrase. That the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus' great desire is to be with you. Is to be with you. Listen, it's not just something we are aiming for that we need to do. It is Jesus' desire. How many of you feel like, you know, I, I live my life for God, I love God, I'm, I'm, I'm good in that department. My love for God is strong. I hardly ever feel that way. This gives me comfort that it's not about the intensity of my love for God, but Jesus wants me to be with him. Jesus wants you to be with him. That is his desire. That is his aim. And you know what? Jesus has accomplished what he set his sights on to do. That's why he went to the cross. Um, If the obstacle between us and God had been a lack of knowledge or information, Jesus would have been just a teacher. So here's what you need to know. If the obstacle was just... Bad, you know, bad choices and behavior. He would have just been a model for us to follow. But the real obstacle was sin and the death that it brings. And so Jesus came as a Savior to remove our sin and to destroy death. Sin is the opposite of union with God. Sin separates us from God. Um, it will separate people from God eternally, And right now, when we sin, there's a separation. There's a a relational um, break, a break in our intimacy with God. Sin separates, but Jesus unites. Jesus unites us with God. And so he came as a Savior to take away our sin. He went to the cross. He suffered and was judged and died for all of the ways that we missed the mark or we don't even aim at the target. Right? He rose again with power and ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And when you are united to him by faith, and something amazing has happened to you. You have been reconciled to God. You are in Christ. You have been adopted into his family through Christ. You have a seat at his table. Everything Jesus has is now yours. And therefore, things change. 
things change. So the question is how? How can this be more than just a concept to believe in? Just another truth to believe, another thing to to fill, uh, fill our minds with. How can we actually live our lives in Christ, in God, in the love that, that Jesus has for us and not um, shooting at a different target? Not living from a different center, but living from that center. Well, I'll just share a few, a few thoughts on that as we close. First, you can stop trying so hard. Stop trying so hard to be better or to know more as if that is going to, you know, help God love you more or help, uh, you know, yourself to be the, the type of Christian you imagine you should be. You can stop walking on that treadmill. It's not getting us anywhere. Trying hard to get knowledge and to, to, do, be- to do better for its own sake is not getting us closer to God. Instead, instead, you can rest. You can let Jesus pull the plug on that treadmill and let him lead you to quiet waters and to green pastures. Right? And rest in his love. Now, Jesus certainly will call you to, and all of us, to some hard things, but not out of a place of trying harder to be better and to know more and to please God and to get there, but out of a place of rest, out of a place of security in Him. The Christian life is not about what we accomplish. It's about what Jesus has accomplished for us. It's not about trying to access God's love, but about remaining in His love. It's not about doing things for God, but enjoying life with God. I hope you're picking up on a theme in all of these, the last several sermons. It's not about accomplishment or doing or achieving or striving. It's about remaining, resting. Well, second, we need to learn to live with the grain of our life in Christ of our life in union with God. You know, when you're working with wood, if you try to take your plane and go against the grain, it doesn't work so well. It makes a mess. It, it makes, you know, rip chunks of wood rip out. It doesn't work. But there's a way the wood is oriented, the grain is oriented, that, that cooperates with your tools. And the Christian life is similar. We need to go with the grain or with the flow of the life we have in God. This means that, you know, sin, it's not about um, avoiding a certain list of things so that we can say, look, God, I haven't sinned this week. I haven't done many of these things. It's not about that. Sin is going against the grain of our life in God. And so if there are things in your life that are, that are against the grain, turn the tool around and go the other way. You know, if there are things that are coming between you and God, then reject them. and Live in the love God has for you. 
If we are, since we are, I should say, since we are in Christ, you have, let me rephrase this. If you're a Christian, if you've been born again, you are in Christ. That's just an objective reality. Nothing you can do will change that. It's not like you can be, you know, a little bit married or a little bit pregnant or a little bit in Christ. You're either in Christ or you're not. And so you don't have to worry that, oh, I messed up. I have to get back in. I have to to go back and try to convince God to let me back into that relationship. You, You are already there. And we need to live with the grain and in flow and in step with the Spirit of that life. Okay. Third and finally, I think this affects the way we read Scripture. Okay, so if, if we have union with God through Christ, if Jesus wants to be with us, if God really loves us, then we should read the Bible not as a textbook, but as a love letter, right? When you read a textbook, you're looking for the answers so you can score, you know, get a good grade on the test or so that you can fill your head with knowledge. But when you read a love letter, it's totally different. There's a person behind those words that you long to be with. And... You fill your mind with with images of that person, right? You can't wait to be with them, to hear their voice, to to feel them, feel their, their hand, and to see their smile, to be united with them. My grandparents on my dad's side, um, I believe, you know, they got to know each other for a few months, and then my grandfather proposed and a short time later, he was shipped off to the Pacific in World War II. And so they wrote letters for a year or more, back and forth. And they built their entire marriage on the intimacy that was formed in those letters between, between them. This is God's love letter to you. It's not a manual. It's not a textbook. It's not a newspaper about things that have happened. It's his love letter to you. So receive it, read it as uh, a way to enjoy God, a way to anticipate being with Him fully. Because someday, like Paul says, now we know in part, then we shall know in full. Someday, our union with God will be complete and full and physical. The last page of the Bible in Revelation 21 says, look, this is the ark that the whole, the story of the Bible has been moving toward from creation to redemption is God being reunited with his people. And the last page of the Bible says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. And we can enjoy right now a foretaste and a, a long-distance relationship, so to speak. We have the Spirit. We are united with Him by faith. One day that union will be complete. That is the goal, union with God.
Let's pray. Father, we confess that we're not very good at getting this and at living our lives with the grain of this truth. I know I so often um, reduce my life with you to a list of do's and don'ts, or I think that by learning and, 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 and understanding and getting more knowledge, I can be closer to you. But it's so easy to do all that and miss you yourself. So Lord, I pray that we would live in a deep and rich way from our union with God. Thank you that, that we are in Christ. And Lord, I pray that um, if there's anyone here today or watching who is not in Christ, that you would open their eyes, give them conviction of sin, lead them to repentance and to faith in you so they too can enjoy um, what you've created them for. And Lord, may all of us live out of this deep well, this deep place of union with God and anticipate the day when we will be united with you in person, in the full. In Jesus' name, amen.